Black Doctors Podcast, Season 6. Hello and welcome back to Black Doctors Podcast. I am Dr. Stephen Bradley, your host. I am a board-certified anesthesiologist with a clinical interest in clinical medical ethics. I'm currently completing a fellowship in critical care medicine as well. I started this show just over two years ago with the goal of increasing diversity within the healthcare professions. And as our slogan states, because I truly believe that representation matters. Thanks for rocking with us. Thanks for following along. Last month, go back and check out those episodes. We partnered with the Tour for Diversity in Medicine, an incredible organization, and we shared the mic with them and had members of their organization come and host some incredible panel conversations, which are useful no matter where you are in your stage of your journey into healthcare. So definitely go out and uh, go back and check those episodes out. A portion of the proceeds from this season will be going to support the work of the Tour for Diversity in Medicine. So excited to share this special guest with you. We have yet to host a urologist in the show. So we've changed that today with this episode. If you want to share your voice on the show, just go to our website, www.thelightdoctorspodcast.com. You can click on the share the mic icon and you can leave a voice memo there that we can include in future episodes of the show. Let us know also, you know, are there any guests that you want to hear from? Um, You can leave a message there on the website and it'll go straight to my inbox. If you are interested in supporting our efforts, we're always looking for sponsors and um, would love to work with you further on that. Thank you so much for supporting and joining the show. I hope we get a lot of this episode. We'll hear a quick word from a sponsor and then jump into today's episode. This podcast is sponsored by Pickmonic. In 2011, two medical students came up with the ingenious idea to combine medical education with unforgettable characters and ridiculously memorable stories. Featuring over 35,000 high-yield facts and graphics, Pickmonic has helped over 600,000 students improve exam scores and perform better clinically. Pickmonic has resources for pre-med and medical students, as well as other healthcare professions. Check out the show notes for a link to their website. Mention the podcast when you subscribe. With Pickmonic, you can study less, but remember more. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the Black Doctors Podcast. I am Stephen, your host. I am excited to be speaking with Dr. Joseph Okoye. He is the first urologist that we've had in the show. I've been uh, very excited, um, no pun intended, to bring on a urologist and share this incredible specialty, which uh, is probably, I think it's a fair guess to say, lacking in representation. But Dr. Okoye, thank you so much for joining us. Ah, thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, being able to come on the show and, again, being the first member of a stream team on your podcast. <laughs> stream team. Man, so let's start at the beginning. You are Ghanaian-Canadian. So how how did you end up in Canada? Well, uh, my parents, obviously both from uh, Ghana, West Africa, uh, made the decision to come down uh, to North America for better opportunities. And at that time, uh, there was a pretty good lottery to get into Canada. So my mom actually came down first, uh, brought her whole family. Uh, eventually, uh, my dad came down and, and uh, yeah, um, raised myself and my two sisters in Toronto, which is kind of a immigrant hotspot. Uh, in Canada. Um, so a lot of the Ghanians do settle there. So I was born and raised in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, uh, spent uh, most of my years here before eventually migrating uh, to the U.S. for medical school. But yeah, born and raised here and uh, definitely have had the benefit of 
being raised in such a multicultural place. Nice, nice. And so you did a uh, college or undergrad in Canada? Yep, I went to the University of Toronto. I actually studied uh, physical education and health uh, because at Initially, being a physician wasn't on my radar. Uh, I thought I was going to be, you know, I was an athlete at that time. So I ran track and field on the varsity team. And a lot of the athletes would end up studying kinesiology as a degree. And uh, a lot of them would go into teaching or chiropractic medicine or uh, physical therapy. So I thought I was going to take that route. And then I had a little bit of a, a desire to pursue pharmacy until I took chemistry in undergrad and got like a D and I was like, all right, I guess pharmacy is off the table. Uh, so, you know, it wasn't really until a lot later kind of in my, uh, educational journey at that point where I decided about medicine. Okay. So you didn't have the grades to go into pharmacy. So you, you just decided to become a urologist. <laughs> well, yeah, what, I, what happened was, um, you know, I, I finished undergrad and I'd done pretty decent, but, uh, you know, I thought I was going to go into athletic therapy at that point in, in uh, undergrad. So I applied to it, didn't get in uh, to athletic therapy. I applied for a master's program, didn't get in. And then I found myself out of undergrad, no uh, acceptances to any of the academic programs I thought I wanted to do. Uh, it was actually pretty hard to find a job as a kinesiologist because mm-hmm. it's not really a field that a lot of people go into. It's not a professional degree necessarily. It's just an undergrad degree. Um, so my first job out of undergrad uh, was cleaning undergrad. I actually worked for the parking and custodial services. So that was a, a humbling experience, but, um, you know, definitely paid the bills and, uh, at that point, I also had the opportunity to eventually work as a medical assistant, and that was where my interest in medicine started. I always joked that as a medical assistant, I was doing all the work, and then the doctor would come in and sign <laughs> off on the note, and he'd get paid, and I wouldn't. And I was like, wait a minute. Uh, something about this arrangement uh, doesn't sit well with me. So I think that's where my interest in medicine kind of sparked. And then at that point, I started looking at what I needed to do to take that route. So I'd end up doing two additional years of getting my prerequisites and getting everything in order before I applied to med school. Gotcha, gotcha. Man, so actually going back a little bit, what did you, what sports did you do or, or uh, did you run in track and field? Yeah, so I did, I, in uh, high school, I was a track athlete. Uh, I was on the basketball team. I was on a tennis team. And uh, uh, in 12th grade, I was actually the uh, athlete of the year that year. Um, so uh ended up getting a partial scholarship to the University of Toronto, uh, academic athletic. And I ran under a track and field team. And it was a indoor track and field because of how the season is, is set up. So I actually ended up doing the 600-meter run as well as the 4 by 8 relay. And on rare occasions, I'd run like 200, but mainly I was a middle distance runner. So you're, you're, you're pretty good then, huh? That was pretty decent. <laughs> I, I think I had a little bit of speed. Uh, you know, I got to compete at the nationals and we'd sometimes travel across the border and, and compete. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was fun. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't actually uh, continue after my first year of undergrad. Uh, because my parents had a business and 
that was where things kind of started to go south with their business. They sold like hair products and and things like that, um, catered towards the black community. But that was at the same time Amazon and and uh, the other kind of wholesale Korean hair stores were starting to pop up. So that took a hit, and as a result, uh, a lot more of the financial burden fell on myself and my older my my younger sister. So ended up uh, dropping track, so I could help out in terms of work and things like that. Man, that's tough. And like so far into your story, like I've heard triumphs and then I've heard setbacks. Uh, I was also a pre-physical therapy. I was a pre-physical therapy major. That was me hedging my bets in case I couldn't make it in medicine. But you're right. Like the job prospects weren't great. But, but you know, hearing your story, you were a fantastic athlete, but had to, to hang that up for a bit. You finished undergrad and had to work at the school to pay bills, respectable, obviously. But listening to that story, you're like, man, how did you get from there to where you are today? So how did you go from uh, janitor, medical assistant into um, medical school? Yeah, so I think I can rewind a little bit. So, you know, I made, I kind of glossed over my high school story, but it wasn't that smooth for me. I was maybe, you know, what some people would call a problem child um, by the end of 10th grade, I found myself in some trouble uh, and I was at the risk of getting kicked out of my high school. So I had the opportunity, I call it, but it was more of a mandatory, you better do this, uh, uh, to participate in this mentorship program that was hosted by the University of Toronto. And I think there's some analogous thing in the the U.S. I think it's like SMDP or something mm-hmm. like that. But we had something called SMP. Um, and it was basically geared towards at-risk students, exposing them. It was mainly Aboriginal students as well as uh, uh, Afro and Caribbean Canadian students, exposing them to the medical field. So that was kind of my first taste of like, hey, you know what? There's other people who look like me, working hard and trying to do well for themselves. And I guess meeting mentors in that environment as well as People who kind of, you know, had the same mindset uh, helped turn things around for me in terms of academics. You know, when I came back, I was like, all right, kind of had a renewed focus and I started doing really well in school. And by the time I finished high school, I was uh, graduated as a top male student, a valedictorian and the athlete of the year. I think I was like the first person to pull off that like trifecta of of accomplishments. So that kind of was my springboard into undergrad. So, I, you know, I, I was kind of really encouraged and motivated and then I hit first year and that was tough, did, did pretty poorly, but, you know, I was able to kind of turn things around near the end. So, you know, I, a lot of people, because of my participation in that mentorship program, I did have some physician friends, physician mentors and uh, doctors I'd met. And, uh, you know, especially black doctors in Canada, it's definitely not as common as you would hmm. see here to meet, even meet black doctors or have black teachers or anything of that sort. So, you know, building mentors in that environment kind of helped, especially when I was going through, get out of undergrad, don't have any prospects, I'm working. I was still in contact with my mentors and, you know, especially when I started working as a medical assistant and telling them that idea. I think that was a big thing for me because they continued to encourage me and continue to be like, you know, hey, it's never too late. You're still young. This is one something you want to pursue. I think you pursue it, you know, look at your track record, you know, despite what has happened and where you're at right now, you still got the brains for it. And I think you can do it. So when I came back, uh, as I was working parking services, as I was working a medical, as a medical assistant, I was taking some courses part-time. I actually ended up picking up track again and being able to 
participate for another year uh, at the university I was going to at that time. And uh, grades did pretty well, obviously, because I didn't have a full course load or anything like that. So I was able to kind of get the grades up and and take the MCAT a couple of times and eventually figure it out. Um, and then I get to, I apply to the, to Canada and Canadian med schools are very competitive. Uh, and because of that, there's actually more Canadians who study abroad than there are huh. in Canada. So I didn't get into anywhere in Canada, but I applied all across the U S and I got two interviews. One was at the university of Michigan DO school. And one was at Meharry. Um, University of Michigan DO school was definitely outside my price range. So it was essentially one interview, which was Meharry. And uh, fortunately, you know, I had a mentor who had actually participated in that mentorship program I talked about way many years ago. Um, and she actually was attending Meharry at the time. She hooked me up with uh, one of my good friends, uh, Dr. Nettie, who was actually uh, I communicate with now. He's still sharing, he sends me patients and referrals and things like that. But he kind of helped mentor me through the interview process, how many places to stay, and uh, did well in the interview enough to get in. Wow. So that was kind of how I made that transition and eventually made my way uh, to med school. I think kind of the aggregate of my experiences made my application somewhat impressive, but I definitely have to uh, acknowledge all the people who helped me along the way. That is a, a beautiful story, and it, and it speaks to... Um, kind of our slogan that representation matters and having that experience set you up, um, even though it was relatively small, it was just a little summer program or so you think. And then the impact that it has on your life and the trajectory of your career has been into Meharry. So Dr. Okoye, you got into Meharry for medical school. Um, at what point did you get interested in urology? Yeah, so uh, I mean, the funny thing is, I had no idea what urology was prior to medical school. In fact, I was pretty uh, opposed to doing anything surgical because the prospect of standing up for hours at a time on one task didn't really appeal to me. So, uh, the experience I actually had uh, with medicine prior to Meharry was pediatrics. My pediatrician was the only black provider. I had growing up and we were pretty close. She was also a Ghanaian and, you know, a trailblazer in her own right. So I thought I was going to be a pediatrician, go back to Canada, take over her practice. And that would be it. Um, so, you know, obviously we get to third year and uh, third year is a bit of a rough time for me. Um, my oldest sister uh, was diagnosed with uh, leukemia. Uh, she'd eventually pass away during that mm. first rotation, the first part of, or the second half of first or third year. Um, so uh, my rotations got kind of mixed up and I ended up doing a surgery rotation. Uh, and the only things that were left because I had to take some time off were urology and vascular surgery as my elective. So I picked those up and I was like, all right, whatever, let's just get through this. I didn't really like the general surgery experience that much. and definitely didn't like the vascular surgery experience. But then I get to urology and um, the urologist there, it's Meharry. So of course you have a lot of black provider, but his name is uh, Dr. Moses. He's duly appointed at Vanderbilt and he served as a 
really uh, great mentor just in general and kind of watching him go to work uh, sparked my interest in urology. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to do pretty well in uh, my step exam. So I had my dean in the, my ear a little bit, think, you know, saying like, hey, you know, you can consider it. I think you'll be competitive enough. And obviously for me, it's, this is like midway through third year. So, you know, I realized, okay, if I really want to do this, I'm going to have to get research and, and get all that stuff in order and get away rotations and do all that stuff very quickly. And back to Dr. Moses, he's like, all right, well, if this is what you want to do, use a game plan, you know, I ended up getting some good research projects doing some good away rotations. I did uh, pretty well on them and kind of springboarded me into that. I was a bit undecided though still, and I had like a contingency plan in my head. So I actually ended up doing some emergency medicine away rotations as well. And I realized I definitely don't want to do emergency medicine because uh, after being in the controlled environment that was the OR, um, going to the ED was <laughs> yeah. a little bit chaotic for me. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of how I got pushed to urology. I think it's one of those specialties that to an extent self-selects. And I did like, you know, the, the variety of procedures. You didn't have to do the big uh, surgical wax if you didn't want to. You could do stone cases. You could do a lot of endoscopic stuff. You could do a lot of, you know, simple cosmetic cases. And you could do the big cancer cases if you wanted to. But a lot of them are streamlined because they're robotic. Um, and then, of course, you had your clinic procedures. So I think that variety appealed to me. And the idea of uh, the fact that urologists are still pretty heavily involved on the medical side of things with regards to kind of the inpatient care. So I did like that as well. So all of those kind of pushed me towards urology. And fortunately, it worked out for me that I was able to, one, have a great mentor uh, to do good on my rotations and get good uh, letters of reference. And, you know, three, get exposed to the specialty in the first place, because I don't think I would be even would have even considered it if I wasn't pushed into it at that point in time. Yeah. So talk about urology for uh, the pre-meds and the medical students out there. They may or may not have experienced or met a black urologist or a urologist. What would you tell them about the specialty? Now we're going to take a quick break to pay some bills. Hey there, I hope you're enjoying listening to the show. I want to take a minute to talk about TrueLearn and thank them for sponsoring the Black Doctors Podcast. TrueLearn is a medical exam preparation company that helps you outperform on your boards. If you are a medical student or resident physician, you should definitely check out their products. If you sign up, please use the code BDPODCAST and you'll get a discount. They have resources for both DO students as well as MD students and even physician assistants. When it comes to residency licensure, they offer question banks for over eight different specialties. TrueLearn gives analytics that give you insight into your study habits, your question responses, and tracks you along with your peers. Students and residents average 20% improvements after completing a TrueLearn smart bank. Check them out at truelearn.com. And again, remember to use the code BDPODCAST to receive your special discount. Now back to the show. Well, urologists uh, focus on the surgical management of things. So a lot of people confuse urology with nephrology. Nephrology, they're both doctors who deal with the kidney to an extent, but nephrologists deal with the medical side of things like, you know, kidney disease and dialysis. Uh, and metabolic workups in that regard. Urologists are on the surgical side. So 
anything from the kidneys, ureters, the bladder, the reproductive organs. So kidney stones, kidney cancer, bladder cancers, bladder stones, issues with the prostate, issues with continence, continence, um, uh, testicular cancers, penile cancers. So these are all things that fall under the purview of urology. And we manage these things surgically. So somebody has prostate cancer, we're the ones who are taking out the prostate. Somebody has kidney stones, we're the person removing the kidney stones. Somebody has continence issues, we're helping to manage that both medically and surgically. Um, and once again, the same applies to testicular cancers and penile cancers. So that's kind of where we fall in terms of our responsibilities. And what are some of the subspecialties uh, in urology? So within urology, there's pediatric urology, and obviously you deal with a different set of issues, but still with the same GU system, and you'd be managing those issues surgically for the most part. There's female urology, so you'd be dealing with female incontinence a lot, uh, organ prolapse, uh, things like that. Uh, there is endourology, so those are the people who take on the complex kidney stone cases and do a lot of kind of uh, non-invasive approaches. There's urologic oncology, so those are the people, of course, who deal with the big, more complex urological cancer cases. There is also reconstructive urology, so those are the people who deal with kind of the plastic surgery urology interface, so people who are, you know, um, uh, helping with gender reassignment surgery, for example, or urethral surgery, or um, penile, more like penile kind of plastic procedures, things like that. So that's kind of where, so those are some of the kind of more recognized subspecialties within urology. And of course, your general urologist may find themselves involved in all of those areas to an extent. Gotcha. For our uh, attending colleagues, our residents out there listening, how when should we consult urology for Foley placement? So if, let's say, a patient tells you, hey, I have a complicated urologic history and you've done a chart review and you see a note that says urology needed to place the Foley last time and the note doesn't end with don't call us next time, it's fine, then consult urology. If there's been multiple attempts and the patient's bleeding and you still can't get it in, don't keep trying. At that point, call urology. You know, if there's any anatomic variation, uh, you know, sometimes people can have urethral strictures or meatal strictures where you can't even, like, Get the, get the meatus open, or they may have bad phimosis where you can't even see the opening to the penis. You know, those are situations to call urology. Uh, if a patient has a suprapubic tube, for example, and it's been dislodged for hours and, there's, and you can't get it back in, that's a situation to call urology. So those are kind of the situations where, you know, we expect to be called Sometimes females who are very obese can have difficult Foley placements. There are ways around calling urology, but obviously if multiple attempts have been made, call urology. But outside of that, you know, usually they can, you know, a lot of these uh, Foley placements can be handled by a nurse or an experienced charge nurse or somebody like that or one of the physicians who's comfortable with Foley placement. As an anesthesiologist, I can confidently say I have never intubated the urethra, so. (laughs) 
Don't call me. <laughs> there you go. As we start to wrap up, I want to ask you this question because it's, it's not not about medicine per se. Um, and then we'll go back yeah. to some advice for students to to close out. But um, yeah, I find uh, something very interesting about you. Learning more about you, your story, um, so many different um, cultural perspectives and experiences. But the intersection of being an athlete, being a subspecialized physician and a blurred, so a black nerd. How, you know, athletes and, and nerds and, and blurred, like, how did all that come to be and, and how do you make it all work? <laughs> well, I can definitely speak to the athlete slash nerd uh, crossover. Uh, that's actually pretty common, I would say. You know, I think uh, a lot of people underestimate it, but let's say uh, a salient example is. Uh, um, the winner of this year's 200 meter uh, world championships. Uh, he is a very recognized bird, Noah Lyles. You know, he he runs with the he dyes his hair silver to look like Goku's final Wait, form, or for example, uh, Noah Lyles. And he won, he just broke Michael Johnson's record in the 200 meter. So he's the fastest 200 meter runner in American history. And he won the world championships, but he's also very outspoken, obvious, blurred. You know, like I said, the first time he won, he dyed his hush silver. And when they asked him, he's like, I was trying to go uh, ultra instinct like <laughs> Goku. So, you know, that's just a, a, an example, but there's many. In the NBA, there's many. A lot of people who have uh, anime-themed uh, shoes, for example. And even when I was on the basketball team, like, we would spend our time after practice just watching anime and, and hanging out. So that intersection is pretty common. The intersection between being a nerd and a physician, I think it follows, you know, you got to be, you know, a lot of nerds are, are pretty studious and obviously you need to have some of that to go into medicine, but obviously it's not as common as you'd expect, but being online and virtually connecting with a lot of people, I've met like a huge community of fellow nerds, are blurred specifically who happen to be physicians and it's definitely more common than people think so we're out here you know I, I think a lot of times we have similar upbringings you know playing video games after we've studied you know playing sports but still kind of having that uh nerd influence so uh yeah definitely it's it's fun to juggle all three and i'm proudly all three and uh, I definitely think that it endears me to some of the patients I get to interact with. And it's really fun to find other physicians who fall under that same intersection because it's such a specific niche and we can relate a lot. That's dope. Yeah. I guess I don't know that. I'm not an athlete. I'm like the furthest thing from an athlete in retrospect. So... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, we definitely a lot. Of, I mean, I think definitely we all we all all of us would rush home and watch Dragon Ball Z and talk about it the next day. And you know, I think some people you know they get older and they kind of drop it off, and then some of us lean more heavily into it because now it's like okay, now I can have money to afford all the nerdy stuff I wanted to buy go. as a kid, and uh, <laughs> and we end That's up dope. here. All the money and not enough time. That's dope. Mm -hmm. So the lesson lesson in that, you can be whoever you want to be. Um, there's a community, there's a tribe out there for you. Yeah, absolutely. As we start to wrap up, I do want to highlight you are featured. Your story is in a book that is available, New Me Stories of Perseverance. Can you talk about 
that um, that book and, and what you, you've contributed? Yeah, so that book was uh, the brainchild of the head author. And uh, he was actually uh, somebody I met through the mentorship program. So I was involved in mentorship program for many years. And uh, I met uh, I met him. Uh, his name is, is uh, yeah, I, I met him. And um, Danny Stone is one of the authors that I, I got to know as well. But the... The main author, and after yes, so the main author is Jeff Martin, and Jeff Martin is a police officer, became a motivational speaker, works with high school students a lot, has written many books, illustrated many children's books, and he uh, wanted to reach out to me through my connections in the Sun Mentor Program and said, hey, I heard your story, it's pretty impressive, I think it inspires some kids, you're very relatable in that regard. And uh, he's like, if you're interested, love to have you on board. And I was like, you know, I'm not an author, but sure, I love to contribute something. He's like, yeah, it's only a chapter. And, you know, we all contributed, had a big book launch pre-COVID. And, uh, you know, we had like the mayor of the city down there and a lot of big people. And uh, we actually got the chance to uh, hand Obama a copy oh, wow. of the book when he came to speak uh, in uh, Toronto for his leadership conference. But that's how I kind of got involved in it. And, uh, you know, obviously I would have loved to be more involved. We had a whole tour plan and then COVID hit and kind of derailed that. And it's been kind of hard to get that back on track. But I think, you know, a lot of people had time to read the book and definitely have gotten great feedback, but it was just my way of, you know, inspiring people, encouraging people, you know, all the stories have the similar theme of seeing the final result, but there were a lot of uh, uh, trials and tribulations that preceded that. And I just wanted to have a way to kind of share that story with people and have it kind of be there, even if it's after I'm gone. That's fantastic. I love that. We will definitely include a link in the show notes where you can find a copy of this book. As we start to, as we wrap up, I've said that three times now, as we wrap up, uh, Joseph, <laughs> what would you say, because we know urology is an incredibly um, tough field to get into. It, it's very competitive. What advice would you give to first and second year medical students, third and fourth year medical students about how to position themselves to match into urology? Uh, well, uh, one of the advantages these days with, with uh, increased social media and the increased presence of doctors on social media is that there are now um, pages and programs geared towards specifically black students or, pre- or students of color who are interested in urology. Uh, and one, that, pro- that particular program is called Urology Unbound. Um, you can just Google it. It'll bring you straight to the, the website. Um, it was uh, started by a good friend of mine, Dr. Chanel Wilson, um, and uh, she's actually based in Atlanta herself. And it's it's basically uh, early mentorship, early attachments to the research projects. Because like any other competitive specialty, the best way to kind of poise yourself for success is start early. So if you know you want to do it in first or second year, you start getting with a mentor and start getting involved in research projects so you can build that portfolio. Of course, you got to do well in class and do well in the exams, but uh, it's a lot about connecting and making those connections early. So 
by attending conferences, by being involved in research, you start to meet people early, make those connections. So by the time you're going to do a weight rotation, you have people you've already met. And uh, obviously, it makes it easier to make an impression there, to get letters of reference there, and all that good stuff. If you decide a bit earlier, you just got to be focused and say, okay, well, I got to get my research done and, and establish mentors. And once again, it's the same kind of deal trying to establish connections so that you're poised to do well when you go on these away rotations. Um, but that's it. And I think that's kind of a key point and something I encourage anybody to do. But yes, Urology Unbound is the, the website. And like I said, if you're a young a medical student interested in urology, great place to start. It's like nice to have something with the formal framework versus like I had to do this kind of reaching out to random people and being fortunate enough to find mentors and research projects. That's awesome. Uh, Dr. Koye, thank you for joining us on the show. If you're interested in learning more about him, one, you can pick up a copy of that book he mentioned. You can follow him on Instagram, jackademic underscore MD. Is that how you say it? How do you say it? Is- yeah, I just say J Academic, but yeah, that, that, uh, J Academic sounds cool too. J, but J, J Academic. academic. Um, yes, yeah, J Academic. It's, it harkens back to uh, being a kid and, and being obsessed with uh, DJ Academics mm. and his little mix, mixtapes. So I kind of took a play on that. So J Academic underscore MD, uh, spelled with the, the A-K-A-D-E-M-I-K underscore MD. Oh, that's dope. I like um, it. Yeah. It's, and it's funny how you, you know, you think you have like a really catchy uh, Instagram handle, but if people don't know your story, then they don't know how to say it correctly. Like I, my other <laughs> account is uh doc Brad is, is doc B rad really but Everybody's like, yo, doc Brad, doc Brad. I went, man, it's doc B rad. <laughs> doc- DJ doc B rad. <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, you guys are, guys are ruining it. <laughs> Um, and then finally, you got to tell them your TikTok, man, because I'm not saying that. <laughs> so my TikTok is DickDoc underscore MD. So D-I-K-D-O-K underscore MD. Uh, trademark. Uh, I just uh, figured that it would be very easy for TikTok users to uh, find. And uh, it's another place where I share uh, a lot of the stuff. But typically, I'm on Instagram, most active there. But definitely feel free to add me on either uh, social media platform. Fantastic. Well, Dr. Koye, thank you so much for joining us on the Black Doctors podcast because representation matters. Awesome. Thank you for having me. really appreciate it. I had a fun time and uh, I definitely look forward to checking out your other uh, interviews. As I launch this episode, it is the beginning of October um, for this week's sign. I just want to chat with you know those folks in the process. You likely just completed your ERAS application for you fourth-year medical students that are looking to match this upcoming spring. I remember those emotions, those feelings when I was engaging in the match process, when I was scraping together the application, scraping together the funding to pay for those applications and then figure out how to pay for the different interviews. And it was a crazy time, very overwhelming, um, a lot going on. The uncertainties of knowing if I would match into the specialty that I wanted, into the program that I wanted, you know, how would I figure out where I wanted to go for training? It was just a, a very trying time. But what I would say to you, if, you, if you're in this situation, you know, try to see the good in it, try to enjoy the process as difficult as it sounds. You are going to be successful. Um, just, just 
speak that into existence. You didn't come this far to fail. Look, you know, on social media, it's so awesome as a resource to connect with mentors, to look at people from different programs. It's definitely something that, you know, would have been fantastic to have um, years and years ago when I was in the match process, um, you know, back in my day and, and all that. But um, at the very least, would just want to encourage you as you begin these endeavors, these challenges. A couple of tips. There are going to be virtual interviews again this year. So make sure, you know, your virtual setup is squared away where you have uh, your good lighting, you have good internet, you have a nice quiet place to engage with your virtual interviews. Um, you know, throw those interviews in your schedule. I know you don't have any problems with that, but um, definitely uh, the scheduling is going to take on a whole new meaning and you don't want to be double booked or miss out on opportunities. Practice, practice, practice. Uh, make sure you're practicing these interviews, get some mock interviews done with a mentor or with somebody from your institution. I um, would love to hear about your experiences in the match process and um, your thoughts heading into this match season. So this or this application season, rather, is soon to be followed by the match season. So if this is you, you know, check out our website, www.theblackdoctorspodcast.com. Click on the share the mic or pass the mic icon and share your thoughts about ERAS. Is it a good system? Is it something that we can fix? If you could design the perfect match system slash program, what would you do or what would you change? Um, click on the link to pass the mic. You can leave an audio note. Uh, we'll keep that anonymous if you'd like, and we can share that in a future episode of the show. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Black Doctors Podcast. We'll catch you next week. I'm Dr. Stephen Bradley, your host, and we are here because representation matters. <laughs>